How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. We join me in prayer. Uh, Father, we, we just sit in those words and we acknowledge that they are, in fact, your, your words. We pray that as we examine sorrow and as we consider suffering and we uh, perhaps even have to rem be reminded of grief, uh, that we would understand and see your deliverance in the midst of it. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for your grace over us as we encounter your word. Well, while it may be uh, small, obscure, and often, uh, if we're honest, often skipped for greener pastures, we thank you that it's there. You remind us that you meet us in the grief, and you demonstrate that so much. In, in the most beautiful of ways, through your son, Jesus. So God, give us a vision of your son today. Holy Spirit, we, only, we, know, only you're, you only, we know only you can give us eyes to see and ear, ears to hear this and a heart to, to beat to that. And so God, please uh, do, do work in your church today. May we find comfort in you. May we see your grace and understand the importance of lament. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today the, uh, the, the text brings us to the topic of tears. Uh, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about grief. And therefore, most of what we'll be discussing, or I'll be discussing, you have to listen to it, um, what I'll be discussing is uh, the idea of lament. Um, so what do you do when uh, life opens up a wound which feels like it's going to be the end of you. That's really what Lamentations is all about. We're looking at a people who have a wound that has opened up so deep, so painful, 
um, that the people feel like it is literally going to be the end of them. And perhaps you're sitting here today saying, uh, I've, I've felt some of those wounds. Perhaps you're sitting here today saying, I feel that wound. I currently have a wound that is, is open. Now, talking about tears, it ought to be normal human stuff. Because let's face it, we all cry. Whether we bottle them up or we just let them fall in great frequency, we are all familiar with the process of shedding tears. I mean, just think about it in the very beginning. No one ever taught you to cry when you first exited your mother's womb. You just did it instinctually. In fact, it's the sign the doctors are looking for that you're going to have life. I mean, I remember being paralyzed with fear uh, when, when, when Silas didn't cry for the first few moments there. They were, we had breathless moments. And then you could hear the tension in the room with all the nurses and the doctors when there, were, there was no crying. And when he did let out a, ah, it was like, oh, okay, he's, he's fine. And then, of course, his heart stopped and he stopped breathing and he, he flew away to, uh, to uh, uh, the NICU, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's another story for another time. We'll tell you all about it. Um, but... Crying is something we're familiar with, especially as kids. I, I can remember crying all the time. Whether I skinned my knee, or some girl was breaking my heart, or I was just angry at my parents, I, I, I had a, a high capacity for the waterworks. And what's interesting about tears and lament and crying is as you get older, it seems like you realize just how unpopular they are in culture. When people are telling you, hey, stop crying, stop being a cry baby. And, you know, I got, I got told that a lot. You see, we see, especially in our culture, we see uh, tears as a weakness, uh, a crack in the armor of self-sufficiency. And then coming from, you know, a Mexican home, um, a macho Mexican home, I was told, I was raised not to cry. And actually fight someone if they suggested that, you, that you're a weak, weak person. So as a kid, I was, I was learning as I was developing into an adult that uh, you have to get that into another compartment, sh- shove it down, uh, lock it up, and throw it into the abyss of an ocean and never deal with it. So I didn't learn the language of lament. Now, what's interesting about lament is that it's not just a cultural problem. It's also a a posture that's sadly been adopted by Christians as well. In fact, the the topic of suffering, struggle, sadness, it seems to be often unwelcome within the walls of the church. I get the sense that if it's sad, it's it's bad. If we, we don't want to talk about sad things. We want to talk about happy things. We, we want to celebrate. And, and I have data on this to back it up. I'm not just, I'm not just spitballing here. 
where we, we don't have to just have a conversation and argument after church, but there's some data to, to back this up. The American church, in fact, has historically avoided lament um, in, its, in its liturgy. In fact, uh, when I taught Lamentations, I really want to teach Lamentations. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, I love to teach you all five chapters. I've got tons of content on it. Um, when I taught Lamentations last in my church, that was the first time the, the, the entire church had ever heard sermons through the book of Lamentations. Because we don't want to talk about sadness. We don't want to talk about suffering. We don't want to talk about grief. Anyway, like I said, American church historically has avoided um, lament in its liturgy, in its singing, in its reading of scripture, and in its, uh, in its process of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of celebration and, and, um, and worship. In, in his book, uh, Prophetic Lament, Sung Chan Ra, he makes a very interesting observation uh, about it. He says, in her book, Journey Through the Psalms, Denise Hopkins examines the use of lament in the major liturgical denominations in America. The study found that in the Lutheran Book of Worship, the Episcopalian Book of Common Prayer, the Catholic Lectionary for Mass, the hymnal for the United Church of Christ, and in the United Methodist Hymnal, the majority of the psalms omitted from liturgical use are the laments. And I know at that point, some of you say, well, I didn't hear my denomination in there, so we're good. Well, he continues. He says, this trend is not only in mainline traditions, but in the less liturgical as well. In Hurting with God, Glenn Pemberton notes that lament constitutes 40% of the Psalms, but only 13% of the hymnal for the churches of Christ, 19% of the a Presbyterian hymnal, and 13% of the Baptist hymnal emphasizes lament. Christian Copyright Licensing International, or CCLI, if you are in the church biz, um, licenses local churches in the use of contemporary worship songs and tracks the, uh, the songs that are most frequently sung in local churches. CCLI's list for the top 100 worship songs in August of 2012 reveals that only five of the songs would qualify as lament. Most of the songs ref reflect uh, themes of praise. Now, um, in non-denominational churches, we fit into uh, one of those denominations. And you might find this interesting. Uh, the last time I perused CCLI's list, because every church has to subscribe to CCLI, because we have to pay uh, copy, copyright fees for every song that is sung on a, on a Sunday. And I looked at that list. The last time I looked was in 2018. And guess what? The trend continues. It's hard to find songs where people want to sing about just sitting in sadness. And I have a hard time with that because most of my favorite songs are about sadness. And uh, anyway, uh, one of these days you can hang out with me. We'll sit and listen to vinyl. Right, guys? Yeah. And we'll, we'll jam out to some sad songs. But, um, but please hear me out. I'm not saying that we shouldn't celebrate in worship. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying that if lament constitute, constitutes 40% of the Psalms, 
And our own Savior is a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, then shouldn't we be incorporating praise and lament in our corporate worship? That's really the question. But as I said, uh, sadness seems to be bad, right? Talking about it, and, when, and, and it's difficult. Let's be honest. Who wants to talk about the difficult things that we go through, the things that cause us to grieve and hurt? It's not easy. But if we give little or no attention to lament, we're leaving a lot of spiritual meat on the bone. Um, and could this be one of the reasons why believers wither and struggle with a sort of spiritual anemia? Probably. Because if we ignore almost, nearly almost the other half of life, we're, we're not understanding it. And that is so true about our culture, right? We have a variety of resources to help inoculate us from the pain so we don't feel it. But guess what? We are created. Our bodies were made to feel the pain. Actually, pain is a good thing. Helps tell us that there's something wrong. Uh, like John, he's sitting there. He's, you got, here, you're getting the business now. He's shaking his head. He ran, he ran 250 miles this week. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We salute you. But I'm going to make the case for how dumb that is, too. <laughs> His body's literally telling him, hey, dummy, stop. <laughs> now, the psychology behind that, really cool, fascinated. We could talk more about that. But pain is necessary because your body's trying to tell you something. But we live in a culture that is constantly trying to um, minimize it and, sh and push it away and ignore it and, and, and um, deaden it some way, shape, or form. But we have to feel it. And we do feel it, whether we want to admit it or not. We all do cry. And the bottom line is because life gives us gives us so many reasons to lament. We could have a whole grief share just today, sitting down talking about all the difficult things that we've gone through and that we're going through. And that's a good thing. We should do that. It's important. <laughs> and yes, I said, it's super difficult to engage as a topic, but sometimes we just have to sit with the wound and weep. Again, hear me. Please hear me. I'm trying to be as clear as possible. Um, I'm not suggesting self-loathing. Okay? I'm not suggesting some spiritualized uh, masochism. I'm not suggesting that. But lamentation makes a case for how we press into pain and how important that truly, truly is. So perhaps a definition about biblical uh, kingdom congruent lament for you this morning. It comes from a book um, called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. Mark Rogop, he says this. Lament is the space between brokenness and God's mercy where the song is sung. Think of it as the transition between pain and promise. It is the path from heartbreak to hope. 
it's all part of the process. Uh, lament is an essential part of praise and the process of working through the wounds we have in our grief. Lament, it gives us language and, most importantly, direction for when our paths have been obliterated. Obliteration is the context of the Book of Lamentations. Uh, In fact, what... Linda read this morning was a dirge. Do you know what a dirge is? A dirge is a funeral song. And that's exactly how it sounded. That's exactly how it felt. And that's exactly what the people of God are going through in this current season of their life of 587 B.C. Lamentations chapters 1 through 5 is a series of dirges, a series of short poems reflecting the fall of Jerusalem. You remember Mike Goheen last week talking about the problem with idolatry and how this was kind of catching up to the people of God? Well, here in this moment, we find that the uh, milk, the proverbial milk has expired. The sin uh, has a shelf life. And it's not like that carton of milk that tells you the general idea, you know, day the, the milk is going to go bad. You can't go and smell and say, okay, we're, we're getting close. We better, we better get through this. No, no. Sin has a, has a way of surprising us, has a way of shocking us, and it has a way of cutting uh, our legs out from underneath us. And that is what's going on with Jerusalem. In verse 1 of this chapter one, the unknown author, but probably Jeremiah, and John can help us decide whether or not that's true next week. Um, he cries out, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. As I mentioned, they were suffering from the, the aftermath, the fallout of their, their idolatry, their worship of foreign gods. And here's the little history lesson. 587 B.C., the city of Jerusalem lays in shambles. And even Solomon's temple is completely destroyed. There's nothing there. They're utterly ravaged. Um, And this wasn't the first time that Jerusalem has been in turmoil. I know you've probably noticed that Jerusalem is always going through some sort of upheaval, but this was the worst to date. You see, everything was reduced to rubble. Idolatry had finally run its course. And the people of Jerusalem were put to death. They were enslaved. Um, They were exiled and taken to Babylon. Um, Some of them managed to escape and get to Egypt and, and enter into the life of a refugee. It was a total disaster. And I'm not going to get into the graphic parts of the book because, you know, it is Mother's Day. But it was total desperation. I mean, if you read Lamentations, there's a couple chapters where you just shudder at the horrors of what was happening to the people in this place. It makes, it, 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 makes, uh, it gives you a very accurate depiction of war and the aftermath that happens within it. And Jerusalem 
as Linda read, is likened to a widow now. A princess among the provinces has now become a slave. For all intents and purposes, the city is completely dead. Jerusalem's fall has plunged them into theological and existential crisis. They're freaking out. They have no idea what is going on. They, they, have, they have lost bearings, both in their minds and in their hearts. Their understanding of God, it's all been thrown into a loop. And you need to understand this, guys. They never thought Jerusalem could fall. They never believed that the roads to Zion would be destroyed. And yet, here they are, all suffering to a great degree. And when you suffer that deeply, when a wound is opened that, that wide within your life, it really causes you to question life. And if you are a, a follower of Yahweh, it really causes you to question um, even what you've always believed. They didn't know what to think. Did God lose to Babylon? Did he, did he, get, did he get worked and, and lose a skirmish? Had he abandoned his people forever for them to, 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 to be destroyed in this, in this destitution? Or was he still with them? They had no idea. They were asking all these questions. Again, it causes us to consider what it looks like when we are in those places. What is our view of God when we suffer disaster at catastrophic proportions? That's really what's going on in Lamentations. And this is why Lamentations is such a good book, a helpful book, a necessary book, because it tells us that, yes, it's difficult, but there's also a direction that Lamentations gives us, teaching us how to sit with grief, how to cry out to God and say all the things that you need to say in those seasons and situations, and most importantly, teaching us how to listen and learn. Now, what did they listen to, and what did they learn? What are their cries? And those are the questions that we'll kind of like delve into. But let's just take, uh, there's a lot. Like I said, I want to teach you all five chapters, but I'm not going to do that today. You know, I'll be very kind to you. But let's just take the example of exile. Exile seems to be what we feel when we, when we experience those deep wounds. Um, for them, it was the wounds which come from uh, idol worship, and that's, that's a category that we've probably all experienced. But also, what does it look like when you just run into a wound that is just a, a run-of-the-mill run process of life? When just something bad happens, like, like Job, you know? Job did, Job did nothing wrong, and yet his life was completely devastated. So keeping that in your head, let's you know, kind of consider what was going on and how to process all that. Because, oh, and here's another thing before we, before we think through that a little bit. Judah, in their, in their exile, the very best that they had, lots of people died, lots of people ex ex escaped, but the very best that they had were taken away to Babylon. Their, their engineers, their artists, their thinkers, all of their best, their best minds were taken 
so they could be employed to build another culture in another city while theirs, while their home laid uh, vanquished and destitute. That's, that, that, that might tick you off a little bit. It might break your heart a, a bit. And that's what's going on. They've been, they've been ripped from their homeland, and, and then Jeremiah actually prescribes for them how they need to engage. And there is so much wisdom coming from Jeremiah for us if we listen. Whenever you're in exile, the words from Jeremiah are helpful. In Jeremiah chapter 29, taking some of, um, some of John's sermon from next week, but uh, um, in Jeremiah 29, 1, and then verses 4 through 9, this is what he tells them. He tells them this in exile. He says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar has taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are, there, who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And you see what God tells them in the midst of all this heartbreak, in this deep wound? He tells them two things in that little section. He tells them first that they need to flourish for others. They need to flourish for their captors. And that they need to not listen to the false teachers of their day, the, 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 the real fake news of the day. Let's take the flourishing piece there, because it's fascinating. I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by this. The temptation for God's people in, in this particular moment is not to, not to remain in Babylon. The temptation is to run. When you are in exile like that, when your captors have seized you and, and put you into uh, servitude, you, your instinct, I think at least mine would be, is to, to hightail it out there. And that's what exile does to us. Like I said, we all have different seasons of exile. And for me, when Miles died, that's the first thing I thought, is I'm leaving Prescott. Uh, everything reminds me of him. And I love you guys, but it was like, I want to leave. You can apparently get an old, broke-down shell of a house in Italy for like like 10 grand. And I was like, I can figure that out. I can learn Italian. I've I've always wanted to know how to make pasta by hand. But, 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 you know, the hardest things for me now is being reminded about him. You know, every time I drive down Willow Creek Road, I have to drive by the space where he died. Every single time. And there isn't a single time that I don't think about it. 
And so it's easy. When you, when you go into captivity like that, when you go into exile like that, you want to es- escape. You want to run away. But I love God. He is so full of courage and love and, and hope. And he says, you want to know how to, how to, how to battle that wound? You, know how to, you want to know how to see that wound heal? You have to think about other people. And you see, it's real easy to say, yeah, we need, we need a season of retreat. I'm so grateful for my season of retreat. But here's the thing. I can't stay in it. I have to look at other people. I look at the people in my own home who have gone through the same grief. I have to look at the others around me who have been impacted like that. And I have to, ultimately, have to, I have to re-engage with the community that God has placed me in, no matter how I feel if I want to continue to heal. And I'll tell you what, like I'm being super transparent with you guys today, probably longer sermon than normal, so forgive me. But, um, you know, there was, this, there was this moment where I wasn't sure if I really wanted to come back to pastoral ministry because it's a lot of work with people. And people aren't always fun. <laughs> In fact, they stink sometimes. Um, but you're wonderful also. But... I remember we were in that, that period of, of, of just rest, retreat, and just healing, and, and I was thinking, even and Beth and I were talking, can we do this? Can we really give like that, that level again? I don't know. We'll see. But we didn't make any plans. We didn't, like, put a date on the calendar, any of those things. And then somebody, again, here's the people, people piece, someone gave my number to somebody out in the, out in the internets and said, this, you could talk to this person. And, I, and so I, I got a phone call from a complete stranger needing some help. And I had two thoughts. Who gave my number to this person? <laughs> Pe- people? Again, people? Um, and am I going to go have this meeting? And I, got to, and I got to weigh it and pray through it and ask myself if Jesus really is about others even in the midst of grief, because Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, is does he really uh, reach out, extend himself to people, even though he is, he is hurting himself? Is that what a Christian is? Yes. Well, that's, that's what we read in, in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we see in Jesus' life. That's the heart of God. The question is, do I believe that? And so I said, oh, what the heck? We'll go talk to this lady. And I, and I, and I did. And I probably will never see her again. I, don't, she probably, I probably will never see her again. I'm, that's, those are the odds. Um, but I had to just see whether or not I could do it. And in Christ, you can. I didn't want to. I want, like I said, that Italian uh, house was really attractive. But, but Jesus says, if we're really going to heal, um, we have to seek the welfare of others. And so we can't, we can't miss the majesty of these moments in Scripture. We read Scripture so quickly, we say, oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. Got my Bible reading in today. Move along. Or do you understand what God is asking of these people? He's saying, go to Babylon. No, your home has been destroyed. They probably had family members who are dead. Little brothers, little sisters who are destitute. You can read Lamentations if you want to know the details. And he said, now go to the people who are your enemies, who are your captors, 
and serve them. That is exile. That's exile for them. And really, if, you, if we want to really think broadly, that's exile for us as well. And God is asking us to think about others. We can make excuses for retreat forever and just wait for Jesus to return for us, which is, sounds attractive, but God says we, are need, we need to be people who are cities, as Mike, Mike was mentioning last week, cities set upon a hill, salt and light into our communities. And you can't do that when you're in constant retreat mode. You can't do that. The mission of God is others. The mission of God is to love people. Jesus, Matthew 5, you've heard it said, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how most people roll. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Loving the people who hurt you. But isn't that the gospel in summary? Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that the heart of Jesus? And if we're going to be Christians who follow the way of Christ, then that's what it will look like. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's easy. That's not, I'm not, I've never, I, I haven't lied to you today and said it's easy. Very clear, it's difficult. But Jesus says the way to process, the way to lament, the way to heal is to, is to you know, enter into that narrow path and trust him in it, even though our instincts are otherwise. And we even may be hurt uh, additionally in that process of trusting Jesus. Because that's what the narrow road is. It's that tight path of, of trusting the Lord's way. You know, I hate what religion says. It's about what you don't do, what you do do, and all that. I mean, this is a, that's a different conversation. The narrow way of Jesus is just saying loving people like he loves people. That's where it gets, that's where it gets really difficult. I can give up things. No, no, no sweat off my back. I mean, that's no problem. It's loving people like Jesus loves people. That's what's, that's what's difficult. And that, but that's what he says, right? You go into that city, you go into Babylon, you flourish for the people around you. That's what a community of God does. And I love, I love Mike's teaching last week about really asking us what kind of preview of the kingdom of, are we giving to the community around us? What kind of trailer? You're a, you're a living, moving trailer, like movie trailer, right, of the kingdom of God. What do they see? Well, they, some of us are saying, oh, kingdom of God is interesting. Kingdom of God is uh, hypocritical. Kingdom of God is, you know, arrogant and hateful and, you know, uh, Mine is a, you know, a know-it-all, you know. <laughs> That's my trailer sometimes. Look at that know-it-all jerk, you know. Um, but I hope people see, are seeing Jesus. The only way they're going to see Jesus is if, if, is if I'm living, living like Christ, right? If I'm following Christ. So anyway, that's, that's that first part. The second part is um, he tells them also to be uh, very aware of the, um, the prophets, Jeremiah tells the people of God that the restoration of Jerusalem is going to take some time. Um, 
If you're familiar with the prophetic scheme of the Bible, you'll know that in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, um, verse 10, he tells them, it's going to take you 70 years to get back. I know, we stu- I know we, it's not chronologically in order. We studied um, Ezra and Nehemiah earlier in the, in the year, and, uh, and we know that they went back and they started rebuilding. Well, uh, he tells them there that it's going to take 70 years. And I want, you to, I, want to let, I want you to let that settle in for just a moment. He says their exile will end in 70 years. Do you know what that means for some people? That means some people are not going to see Jerusalem ever. Like that wound will, will be their constant reminder, and then they will, they will see the kingdom in a different way, but they'll never go back to Jerusalem. And again, we're, what is the community of Christians kind of like? It's, it's like, let's sing uh, songs of victory and, and talk about the breakthrough. And I'm not busting Ross's chops today, because that's a good, good song. God, God is the God of the breakthrough. But, but his breakthrough looks a lot different than our breakthroughs. And are we okay with that? Well, yes and no, Right? And that's what Lamentations really challenges us on. That's what Jeremiah challenges us on, is, is uh, how do we feel about 70 years? How do they feel about 70 years? Well, they know that they may not ever see Jerusalem again. And so in chapter 27 of Jeremiah, verse 9, he tells them, he warns them, he says, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. Isn't that interesting? That within this context, they're being told that you're going to be, they're being told by all their diviners, all these, all these uh, fortune tellers, dreamers, false prophets, hey, you're not going to Babylon. Do not listen to them. And here's the thing, guys. We, we live in a culture full of talking heads. I mean, you can go to YouTube and listen. You can go to, you can go to a blog. You can turn on your particular television station, and you can get a, 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 a soothsayer, a, a fortune teller, a diviner to tell you exactly what you want to hear about, about what you envision for the future. There's somebody there who will tell you exactly what you want to hear, right? Uh, things don't change. There's always people who will tell you what you want to hear. But here's the thing. God unequivocally tells us that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And, and therefore, I don't get down the way you get down. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not, I always like the, the thought of God's, God's not telling us I'm some trained monkey that you can teach how to, how to um, you know, you know eat, eat a, a meal, um, use the facilities or whatever. I don't, God's not like that. God does things on his own time, in his own way, and often, I don't know about you, he's not letting me He's not inviting me into that conversation. I mean, think about it. God's plan of redemption take, took so long in terms of what we understand and see, right? I mean, it's thousands of years after Eden, then 33 years as a man, then to a cross. Jesus is not in a hurry. It doesn't mean his plan is not perfect. It doesn't his, mean his plan is not present. It just means he's not in a hurry. And are we okay with that? And I think there's a reminder there is that we should be very suspicious when people pre- present us with quick 
promises and fixes to, to, to grief and wounds, especially when they have nothing to do with the way of Christ and the way of his kingdom. And are we hearing that in this, the, the era that we live in? Because Americans, we are, we are so, we're so dependent and even accustomed to now, right? Even, even in a sermon like this, you're saying, okay, now get to the good stuff. Tell us, tell us about deliverance. Tell us about redemption. Tell us how it all works out in the end. And, and God's saying, no, sometimes you've got to just think about how slow this all goes. Jesus redeeming us to take, it took a, in terms of how we understand time, it took a lot of time. So many people have come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. And Jesus is still not really there ascended uh, to, his, to the right hand of his father after the, the crucifixion. And we should think about that. We should think about that when we deal with wounds. You see, the right kind, I said earlier, biblically, kingdom congruent lament gives us a direction. It just says we need to seek the welfare of others, even our enemies, and it tells us that we might have to wait for a resolution to exile. But here's the good news of lament, even discovered in the book of lament it's, uh, Lamentations itself, is that yes, it's difficult, and yes, it gives us direction, words and language about how to uh, engage in all that, but also the Bible is always um, pointing us to deliverance. And here's the thing. Jeremiah, when he's writing Lamentations, his cry of desperation, it kind of reaches a crescendo in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is everybody's favorite chapter of Lamentations. And it says there in verse 16, I'll read you his cry. He says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished so has my hope from the Lord. Basically, his suffering is so great. The prophet's happiness has, and, and his hope has met an expiration date. He, mean, he, he means a, exactly what he's saying here. It's completely gone. He has no hope. No hope left. But here's a really beautiful thing of, of deliverance. The deliverance we see through the entire book of, all the books of the Bible is, is Jeremiah, he cowers in the ashes and he stops to clutch those ashes for a second. And he begins sifting through them and declares this word in verse 20. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Listen to this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the only way Jeremiah's hope is renewed. This is the only way the cloud of doom kind of dissipates over his head. It's in him knowing the heart of God. 
Him knowing the truth of God in the midst of the worst moment in, in the history of Israel. What, and, and hopefully, hopefully you see this, because Jeremiah gives us an incredible gift. He says, this is what we need to do when we run into a wound that might be the end of us. He says, you have to go back to your um, theology 101. You have to go back to school and go back to the basics. Um, that's just kind of like a, it's kind of like what we do in life. If you, can, if you have messed something up, you usually go back to square one, right? And you go back to the basics. There's a lot of stuff there, but let's just think about what Jeremiah did. He went back to school and he remembered something so simple and so true about his God. He remembered that God, his God, is immutable. Big fancy word that just means God does not change. God's never changing. And the good news is that his love, his consistent love, doesn't change either. I've read this to you before, but it's one of my favorite definitions of immutability. And I'll give it to you again. It's from A.W. Pink. He says, God is immutable in his essence, his nature and being are infinite, and so subject to no mutations. There never was a time when he was not. There never will come a time when he shall cease to be. God has neither evolved, grown, nor improved. All that he is today, he, he has ever been and ever will be. I am the Lord, I change not, is his own unqualified affirmation. He cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. Altogether unaffected by anything outside himself, improvement or deterioration is impossible. He is perpetually the same. He only can say, I am that I am. He is altogether uninfluenced by the flight of time. There is no wrinkle upon the brow of eternity. Therefore, his power can never diminish, nor his glory ever fade. That is a really good definition on the immutability of God. This truth applies to every single one of God's characteristics and in context with the conversation. Well, it's not a conversation. I've been running my mouth the entire time. But in terms of what I'm talking about today, this directly um, uh, it has impact and ramification on the steadfast love of the Lord. You see, what ultimately settles Jeremiah, even though he, the, the city is destitute, even though the pain is going to continue, and it's going to be for some 70 years, the pain will continue as they try to rebuild from the rubble that is among them. As people uh, removed in exile long to be home, long to see their loved ones. The thing that settles Jeremiah's troubled heart is that God loves them and that no one can break the covenant that he has established with them. It, nothing that they've done can change his love for them. It cannot. It's impossible. Because God loves them in perpetuity. His, his, his uh, mercy is infinite. And that's what I need to hear when I am wounded. When I, there are wounds that I have made for myself, or there are wounds that have surprised me and entered into my life uh, unexpectedly. I have to know 
it doesn't mean, it can't mean that God doesn't love me. That God is, 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 is God, that God hasn't taken a sabbatical from me to attend to much larger problems in the cosmos. No, he still, at the end of the day, cares about me. And that's why I love Lamentations. Because in the midst of all the heartbreak and the hopelessness, we're reminded that God is still good in the midst of it all. And as children of God, we must remember that this means no matter what we've done, no matter what has been done to us, what has been done around us, no matter how much shame suffocates our lives, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's deliverance. That's the deliverance offered in lamentation. And it's pretty dang good. If, if, uh, if you're asking me, and here's the thing, guys. In addition, whatever wound has brought you or me into exile, it can't mean that God is not with us and for us. Because that is not who he is. He's already expressly demonstrated that there in chapter 3, but he demonstrates that all throughout the text, and, he, and, it, and it reaches this beautiful crescendo on a cross at Calvary. That's how much God is with us. So pressing into God in the midst of grief is how we move from heartbreak to hope. Lament is the space between pain and promise. But here's the thing. It's a part of that process. You have to get in there. You have to get in to that grief. I know that's a weird thing for me to tell you today, but you got to get into it. you got to get into it. You have to sit with it. you got to let those tears fall. And you got to cry out every single thing in your mind and your heart to God. Guess what? He can handle it. He's heard it all before. And he loves you all the same. And this is why we need to learn lamentations. This is why we need to learn lament. Because it connects us to God in the context of chaos, in the broken world. And even though it's confusing and, 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 and devastating, it connects us to him. Because we have the good news of the gospel, we know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is with us and for us. And to quote one of my favorite artists, it's kind of, kind of how I developed the wound idea in the very beginning. When you run into uh, Nathaniel Ratliff, did I say his name? Nathaniel Ratliff. Uh, see, I don't know what I'm saying up here. Um, Nathaniel Ratliff, he said, when we run into a wound that is going to cancel us out. It's a, it's a chorus of a song. He's, and he's crying it out. This wound is going to cancel me out. This wound is going to cancel me out. Um, and just, just a, a disclaimer, if you go listen to it, um, got, some, got a bad word in it, a couple bad words in it. Um, I'm fine with that. Um, um, it, but here's the other thing. It's utterly hopeless. It's a hopeless song. It's a hopeless song. But, it, but the thing that is so true about it, he gets what that wound feels like. And he screams it. He's screaming it. It's why I love the song. This wound is going to cancel me out. It's going to cancel me out. And that's how I felt. That's how I, that's how I felt for months now. For months, I've, I felt 
Like this wound is going to destroy me. But what I do is I turn to the, my immutable God and I know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Ever. And so therefore my heart has hope. My tears, my tears just come from a longing in my exile. That's it. I know, I have confidence before you today because Jesus is the resurrection and the life and I, and, and I have him, but more importantly, he has me. And so I'm not ashamed of tears. Guys, I'm just celebrating fully in this life. And that's what it means. So, gosh, when you hear me go on a rant about churches and the songs and, the, and all the, you know, like, like, all the, yeah, all the celebration, I'm for it. But, like, we have to have a, a, a whole of life. That's all I'm trying to say. Have I, have, I, have I made that clear today? Yeah? Okay. Okay. So, I'll wrap it up now. Done. Um, questions. Are you devastated in your own Babylon? Have you, do you have a wound that feel, you feel is going to cancel you out. Uh, I'm going to tell you something you might not like to hear. Well, look to serve others. Seek the well-being of others. Help them flourish. There you will find flourishing for yourself. Uh, Jesus, right? Jesus says that, not me. Um, no, next thing, stop trying to hurry the Lord. Stop trying to uh, you know, all due respect, stop trying to kick God in the pants and saying, let's get going on this, right? God, God's ways, they're not our ways. They're better. Have I made that clear? They're better. So let him do the thing he's going to do, especially in you, me. And then hang on to that promise of his steadfastness, his love. He, have, he hasn't left you, he hasn't abandoned you, he's with you, he's for you. And here's the thing, Lament tells us, instead of being angry, instead of being angry, let's try tears. And that is, gosh, that is prophetic for the world in which we live in now. Everybody's so, so pissed about everything. Right? People are furious about things. And I'm not saying we don't have things to be angry about, furious about. But Jesus, before he entered into, finally into Jerusalem to, to finally die there, he, 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 went, he sat upon a hill, he looked at the, his people, he looked at his homeland, and what did he do? He cried. Let the way Jesus lived and breathed and walked in this world, let that impact our lives. So instead of us all being so angry, and I'm preaching to the choir here, I'm preaching to myself, we need to try tears. Lament is a necessary part of the Christian life. It teaches us how to engage with God when we are sad. To remember that the Lord does in fact keep count of our tossings, and he puts every single one of our tears into his bottle. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your kindness and care over us in this in the teaching of this uh, sermon and the examination of this book. I thank you for these people who are so patient with me and let me rant and and uh, just be my complete self in front of them. I thank you for that. And I pray that as we, as we consider you and we go to your table today, that we would know that um, you know exactly what it means to suffer. That we would be um, impressed and impacted in a whole new way um, as, we, as we take the elements today. We would just be blown away in the fact that your love um, stepped into the suffering, stepped into the sadness, embraced it so that you could destroy the power that sin held over each and every one of us. So God, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.